Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Marianne Azevedo, and this is our interview show where we sit down with a guest, think about their work, and unpack the rest. Today, we're once again talking to David Velez, the co-founder and CEO of NewBank, a Sao Paulo-based digital bank that offers credit cards, checking accounts, and life insurance to consumers. It's a company that just crossed a market cap of $50 billion. David, welcome to the show. Good, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. Today, we'll be talking about a variety of topics. We'll get into what's been going on with NewBank over the last 12 months. We'll do a LATAM check-in, including discussing whether or not global VCs have been abandoning the region or not. We'll discuss which LATAM startups have been the most resilient in this downturn and more. Why don't we dive in? Let's do it. Great. So as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Nubank just crossed a market cap of $50 billion. Now, last year when we talked, the company was valued at, if I recall correctly, about $35 billion. So what happened over the past year? I mean, I know very recently you just announced that you ended 2023 with a net profit of $1 billion. So was that the first time that you recorded a profit? We started recording a profit towards the end of 22. Already in the last couple of quarters of 22, we were profitable, but we were able to really show significant profitability and increasing throughout 2023. So I think 2023 really was the year where we finally proved our big thesis as a company. The big thesis we started the company behind almost 10 years ago, which is digital banking is the future of banking globally. And is the future of banking because it's a model that is able to create much better financial services and banking products for consumers that are rated higher. And at the same time, also offer a higher profitability. In our case, even in 2023, while we continue to invest a lot in growth, we were able to end the year with a return on equity of upwards of 26%. So it is one of the highest return of equity of any financial institutions in Latin America. And Nubank Brazil already has an ROE of upwards of 40%. So these are metrics of profitability that are much higher than really anybody in the industry. And I think that was the big question mark that I think a lot of skeptics on the model still had. Mm -hmm. And we were able to kind of put it to rest in 2023. Yes, yeah, so you reached nearly 94 million customers during the year. The bulk of those customers are in Brazil, but you operate obviously in other countries, including outside of Latin America, right? Yeah, that's right. We are in Mexico and Colombia. And I think 2023 was also the year where we were able to prove, to your point, that this is a model that also goes beyond Brazil mass market consumer. We were able to grow in new markets, so Mexico and Colombia, and not only in credit card, but we also launched savings accounts in Mexico. We got banking licenses in Mexico and in Colombia. And in Mexico specifically, we launched our deposit product and we were able to acquire over a billion dollars of retail deposits in about three months. So it was pretty significant growth in deposits. And also we were able to show progress around going in our segments in Brazil, which is high income. We saw significant growth in the high income consumer in Brazil, and also significant growth for small businesses. Mm -hmm. So it's a model that now we are able to show that it goes beyond. It goes beyond in different segments, and it goes beyond for different markets. Yes, I uh, read also that 
You had over $8 billion in revenue in 2023, which is really impressive for any, I think, any company, much less one based out of LATAM, honestly. But I have been covering the region for a number of years, and I was really excited 2021, especially 2020 as well, when global investors were flocking to the region. They were finally seeing the value, the potential there. And it was exciting to watch all these dollars flowing to Latin American startups. Obviously, some of that funding has declined, just like it has all over the world, including in the U.S. 2023, venture funding in LATAM totaled about $3.3 $3.3 billion compared to $7.5 billion in 2022. I've heard from some people that a lot of the global VCs have somewhat abandoned the region. Do you have any thoughts on that? Would you say that's accurate? I think there is some truth to that. I think, unfortunately, what you end up seeing in emerging markets specifically, and the same thing, frankly, has happened in, in China, venture capital, India, venture capital is... You have pendulums going back and forth. Suddenly, there comes a time when there is a lot of exuberance. Investors see the huge macro opportunity in the Latin America case of a region that has over 650 million population. So it's a pretty significant market size from a population perspective with a higher income per capita than in India. That would make it actually one of the most interesting and larger geographies in the world. That will also go through a lot of transformation by technology that will also have a lot of opportunities from technology companies creating new products and services in different verticals. U.S. investors discovered that and then suddenly there is a lot of flow into the region and there is a lot of investments. And then the cycle changes. And then as sometimes in venture capital, you call them, the tourists go home. Right. People leave. And then five years after, they come back Mm -hmm. and then they leave. And so it's normal cycles that you will see in emerging markets. But for the investors that do not see themselves as tourists and that actually stay through the cycles, they always end up being happy and glad that they did that. So right now we're in, in the cycle where a lot of people left, went back home maybe two years ago. The real investors stayed. And they are continuing investing and the opportunities are there. The opportunities are there are better valuations and there are better investments. And in. so there will be very great investments being done in Latin America right now. One of my colleagues, Anna Heim, wrote a story earlier this month about SaaS startups in Latin America. And she found a few interesting things that basically net dollar retention, customer acquisition costs, payback were higher generally in Latin America compared to U.S. peers, especially with regards to SaaS companies for a few different reasons. And I think some of that can go back to what we talked about last year in terms of how Latin American startups operate compared to their U.S. counterparts and that they generally tend to operate in a more lean and efficient manner because they don't have the same access to capital that their counterparts in the U.S. might. What would you say to that? Do you, I would assume you're not surprised by those findings. Yeah, I know. I think that makes a ton of sense. I'll tell you at least from our own experience, we started in an environment in 2013 where there was no venture capital available. We had to have a real business model since the beginning. We had to have real unit economics since the beginning. We were incredibly scrappy. I mean, we spent about $1,000 in rent in our office for almost two years, and we got to have 40 employees working out of a house. An entire rent was $1,000 a month. Wow. So we were very scrappy, very careful, very focused on, on economics since the beginning because we just didn't have access to a lot of money, and we couldn't really afford to go out and shooting in all directions and, and grow at all costs. So Latin American companies tend to operate in an environment of scarcity, which means they are forced to think very carefully about how they invest the little money that they have. Right. Obviously, you're 
you're a fan of consumer fintech, which I know that a lot of investors are still bullish on, despite the fact that there have been a lot of challenges in the space. But when you look at LATAM, which category of startups do you feel have been the most resilient as we face this downturn? I, I can say personally on my end, I've been impressed with the number of infrastructure companies, in particular in the fintech space, that have either been raising money or exited, definitely proven to be resilient. Yeah, so financial services is one of the largest markets in Latin America and really globally. So there are a number of different fintechs that are operating in infrastructure. They're operating on the small business side and capital markets that continue to grow very well. And I also think that the biggest opportunities really across the cycle will be the startups that are delivering products and services within big industry segments. So education in Latin America is still in the early days, you have over 400 million people that need to be educated mm -hmm. and that hasn't been solved. Healthcare, you have over 450 million people that have very little access to good healthcare in the entire continent. Most of the healthcare in Latin America is public hospitals and, and you have a year worth of wait list to get a surgery. People are waiting 360 days, wow. 400 days to get a surgery or, or access to healthcare information. So infrastructure or mobility, you have bad roads, you have mm -hmm. bad transportation. So these, these are massive problems that will also create massive opportunities. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are looking and going after that and are thinking, how can technology, now with the advent of AI, how can AI plus technology solve a lot of these big problems? And there'll be massive companies being created on, on some of these industries. You read my mind. I was just about to ask you. Obviously, AI is the talk everywhere across every sector. So what do you think AI has or what potential do you think AI has to help boost LATAM's, I guess, growth in the technology space? I honestly don't know what's going on in AI in LATAM compared to, say, here, other parts of the world. Do you think it's kind of on track or behind or ahead? I think it's on track. I don't think you'll see the next generation of semiconductor companies or LLM developers coming out of Latin America. I think the U.S., maybe Europe, maybe China, they are the best position in the world to really innovate within the basis of infrastructure and, and semiconductors and modeling. What you'll see in Latin America is a lot of applications of those LLMs into some of these big problems. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very optimistic to, at some point, very soon start seeing the AI private tutor that is really teaching 100 million students how to do math better and how to read and write. In Brazil, for example, you still are having 70% of them don't know how to really read and write. 70% of the people that are graduating from high schools. So there is a huge amount of opportunity for technology, for AI, for the AI private tutor that everybody talks about to really teach people how to do math, how to uh, read and write better, and how to code, how to use some of these tools to create a phenomenal job that they can even export to other geographies. Same with, with healthcare. There is a lack of access to healthcare knowledge, given how hard it is to reach a good doctor. AI could have a pretty differentiated impact in democratizing access to good healthcare solutions. In our case, we think the same thing is going to apply on financial services. The top 0.1% of Latin Americans have phenomenal private bankers 
that do everything for them. They do taxes for them. They give them good financial advice. They tell them where to invest their money, the most tax efficient way, where to get the lowest cost loans when they need to buy a house. The other 99.9% have no access to that at all. Right. They have access to financial services, but nobody's really helping them to invest their money well, to get a good loan, to do their taxes. So I think we are working in this concept of the AI private banker, where AI can really help people optimize the money that they have and help them create wealth. And that could have pretty significant impact. So we we are, I'm very optimistic about what AI ultimately can do for a lot of these countries here and, and really for emerging markets globally. Yeah, so it sounds like you're bullish on its potential. Very. For sure. Okay. Very much. Great. Okay, David, we're going to have to take a short break, but when we get back, I'd love to hear your advice for startups in Latin America, as well as for investors who are considering backing companies in the region. In general, when you look at Latin America, and obviously, as we talked about, some of these global investors have exited for now. What advice do you have for startups that are still trying to grow in this challenging market that may be running out of runway, but still have a viable product or a lot of potential? What advice would you give them to keep operating in in the face of such challenges? Yeah, I mean, I think the first real movement was to cut down and burn and become really, really cost efficient and really scrappy, really. I do think even Latin America being capital scarce, you still saw similar excesses that you saw in in the U.S. through the post-COVID nature. We all did, I think, probably overspent a little bit. And I think the first move was to become extremely efficient really everywhere. I think that that's a big trend that allows you to extend your runway for another 12 months, another 24 months. And then really focus on unit economics. And if you can prove that you have real unit economics and you have real product market fit, the capital will appear. It's not that there is no capital. There are a couple of really strong local venture funds, the Casex, the Monashis, the Redpoints, they're not tourists, they've been here, they're fully focused on Latin America. They remain here, they have big funds. And there is a number of international funds that continue to look at the region and there will be capital available for startups that have product market fit, that have growth, that can show good unit economics. So it is possible to find that funding ground, even in this environment. When we talk about on the venture side of things, What would you say to an investor that is thinking about investing in the region or maybe on the fence? I guess, what advice would you offer to investors in terms of what to look for or how to go about evaluating potential investments in such a large, large region? I know Brazil and Mexico tend to be the larger markets, but there's a lot going on all over Latin America. Yeah, I think Brazil and Mexico, it all needs to begin in Mexico and in Brazil. These are the biggest markets. There are startups in our countries, but if they don't have a Mexico or Brazil strategy, it's unlikely they'll be able to get to any meaningful scale. So even for entrepreneurs that begin outside these markets, I would tell them, you got to have a Brazil strategy, you got to have a Mexico strategy. That has to be your core market because that's where you make it. Mm -hmm. If you make it there, you can make it anywhere in the region. So that's that's number one. And I, I would say... Look at the region because there'll be massive companies coming out of here. Again, this is one of the largest geographies in the world. When you look at not only the population, but the income per capita, this is a bigger market than India, for example. You might look at India as a 1.6 billion market, but in reality, 800, 900 million of those customers have very, very small income per capita. It's very hard to make a lot of business models actually work. In Latin America, you don't. You are operating with a much larger income per capita, which means on the consumer side, you can create viable business models. But I would say come here and 
operate with a longer term horizon, create a brand and look at the biggest problems that are available. And I think it's in some of these biggest industry segments. You see today when you look at the what are the companies public in the Bovespa? What are the biggest companies from Mexico or biggest companies in Colombia? They're generally are very big market caps in financial services. So look at financial services. There are big market caps in education companies, big market caps in healthcare companies. These are the segments and sectors that will be reinvented, that will be disrupted by technology. Software itself, it's still very early days. You mentioned software, that transition from on-premise to SaaS. It's still in the very early days in Latin America. Mm -hmm. We are probably 10, 15 years behind the U.S. So there'll be a massive transition of market cap towards that region. So even a lot of those trends that you've already have seen playing out in Silicon Valley, they still need to happen in in some of these markets. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to go back to something we were talking about earlier in the show. You crossed a market cap of $50 billion today as a company, which is huge. But in the past year, that market cap had dropped as a low as $15 billion, right? So you, you've obviously had a great comeback over the past 12 months. Would it be accurate to say that it's your goal to have NewBank become Latin America's largest financial services company? And are you planning to expand outside of this region at all? Yeah, so... The underlying hypothesis of NewBank since the beginning is that digital banking or digital financial services have the opportunity to create better products for more people at lower cost with higher returns to investors. And that's a global opportunity. If you look globally, today, something like still 97% of the entire financial services market cap of something like $15 trillion is still incumbent banks. After 10 years of fintech, fintechs have only really been able to acquire something like 3% of that market cap. So we're in the early, early, early days. And it's not that that transition hasn't happened faster, not because the opportunity is not there. It's because incumbents are very entrenched. These are very regulated industries. And it just takes a lot of, takes time to build real alternatives to the traditional financial services. So we are proving that hypothesis now in Latin America and the three largest countries in LATAM. I think we're on the path to become the leading financial services institution in, in the region. And over a 10, 20 year horizon, we will go beyond Latin America. We think this is a global thesis and globally, we're very well positioned to show this model really working for both consumers as well as investors. So yeah, absolutely. I think we're just kind of taking one step at a time because it's a tough model to internationalize. But it's absolutely, a, we continue to think it's a global trend. Well, before we officially wrap up, David, can you tell us where our listeners can find you on social media? I know that NewBank is simply NewBank on X, but what about you? I'm on X. <laughs> Bella's mm-hmm. the David. I'm on LinkedIn. But I'm not a big social media user, to be completely frank. So you don't, you won't see a lot of activity from me. <laughs> I'm sure you're, you have a lot going on and it may not be so easy to be scrolling on X or posting on X when you're running a $50 billion company. Uh, as for us, you can find EquityPod on X and threads at EquityPod. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Monday. David, it's been a pleasure as always to have you on the show. Until next time. Thank you, Marianne. Great talking to you. Likewise. Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. And a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. 